Thank you for downloading a sermon from the Chapel of the Cross. The Chapel of the Cross is a welcoming, growing, and historic Episcopal Church in Madison, Mississippi. I hope you will join us on Sundays for worship at 7.30 a.m., 8.45 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m., with Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. I also invite you to connect with the chapel online at chapelofthecrossms.org. Again, thank you for downloading this sermon. We pray it will enrich your walk with Christ. God bless you, and we look forward to welcoming you and your family to the Chapel of the Cross. Holy and loving God, write a message on our hearts, bless us, direct us, and send us out living letters of the word. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In 313, the year Christianity was made legal in the Roman Empire, the Empress Helena, Emperor Constantine's mother, set out on a long journey through the Holy Land. During her travels, Helena, later made Saint Helena, established relief agencies for the poor, founded the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem and the Church of the Apostles on the Mount of Olives, and identified what many believe to be the burning bush in the Sinai. Quite an eventful vacation. And if all that were not enough, while in Jerusalem, Helena discovered Golgotha, the hill where Jesus was crucified. And to add insult to injury, her fellow Romans had built on top of Golgotha a temple to Venus, the Roman god of love. So Helena chose to have the temple destroyed and began to excavate that holy hill. Therein, Helena found three wooden crosses and a small sign with the words, Here is the king of the Jews, inscribed three times, once in Hebrew, once in Greek, and once in Latin. These, Helena believed to be the crosses on which Jesus and the two thieves were crucified on Good Friday. But she wasn't sure, so the bishop of Jerusalem devised a test. He brought forth a terminally ill woman to the site where the three crosses were discovered. I'm sure this poor sick woman was thrilled to be part of the bishop's test. The woman touched the first cross and nothing happened. The woman touched the second and nothing happened. But when she touched the third, she was immediately and entirely healed. St. Helena declared that that third cross to be the true cross of Christ. On that hill, she built the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, and it was dedicated on September 14th, 335, nine years after the crosses had been discovered. The cross was then unwisely broken into several pieces and installed in various churches and palaces throughout the ancient world. From there, pieces of the true cross popped up everywhere, from conquering armies' hordes to monastery chapels and merchants' shelves, many of which were forgeries. 
The true cross has faded into myth. Yet two Orthodox communities, the Greeks and the Syrians, still claim to possess pieces of the real true cross, both in Jerusalem. All that being said, if you are still awake and poke your neighbor if they've fallen asleep, that is why today is the Feast of the Cross. The celebration, the celebration which began with Helena's discoveries in Jerusalem, it remains part of the church's calendar to this day, and we being the chapel of the cross, we honor this day every year. And we set aside this day to meditate on the cross, to wonder why our God willingly died on that grisly and horrible cross. We contemplate why we stood by and watched this cosmic tragedy unfold. And we explore how the cross transforms our lives 2,000 years later. Dr. Caroline Lewis of Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, wrote just last year, Before the cross was something in which to believe, the cross was a moment in time a moment in the life of the first disciples when they learned how to believe. The cross marked a moment when the paths of life were not fixed, when the direction for how to be in the world was less certain, when God seemed to be rerouting the future. In other words, the cross is not something to be idolized as much as we are a sacramental people and as much as we enjoy the history of the true cross. Moreover, the cross is not only about our personal salvation, as much as we appreciate Christ opening the way to eternal life. But fundamentally, the cross is a way of, the, a way of life today. The cross is a lens through which we see our hungry world, and the cross is a path by which we traverse the temptations of this world. Jesus lived in a terrible time when religious leaders engaged in petty squabbles whose only goal was the maintenance of their own power, all the while while the Roman Empire, the most powerful human force ever assembled, was standing on their throat. And one of the ways these authorities kept order was crucifixion, a means of execution that was not only bloody painful, but meant to be seen by others and act as a deterrent lest you decide to speak truth to power. But this Jesus, this Jesus we follow, this Jesus preached something different. This, pre this Jesus preached about love. He preached that we don't have to be captured by the violence that can infect the heart, but instead we can say yes to love. Inst instead, we can stop the cycle of violence, the violence of cruelty, the violence of contempt, the violence of exclusion, and instead we can live in love. Jesus believed in love so much that he was willing to die on a cross. And on that, in that moment, the cross ceased to be a symbol of violence, 
but was transformed by Christ into an icon of how his followers, followers like you and me, can change the world. And how do we change the world? First, we must change ourselves. And how do we change ourselves? We follow Jesus' way of love. And what is this way of love? I'm glad you asked. This past summer, our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, invited the Episcopal Church to try a new way of life, a new rule of life, a framework, a tool with which we can follow Jesus. In your bulletin and on the bookcase by the door, you will find an introduction to this tool, the way of love practices for a Jesus-centered life. It contains seven practices through which we can explore God's love, hear God's call, and live a life inspired by the cross. The seven practices are to turn, to pause, to listen, and choose to follow Jesus. Learn, reflect on Scripture each day, especially on Jesus' life and teachings. To pray, to dwell intentionally with God each day. To worship, to gather weekly in community to thank and praise and dwell with God. To bless, to share our faith and unselfishly give and serve. To go, to cross the boundaries of this world, to listen deeply and to live like Jesus. And finally, to rest, to receive the gift of God's grace, peace, and restoration. Turn, learn, pray, worship, bless, go, rest. Those seem really simple, but they're not easy. They are not simple. Some days we might find ourselves at step one. Some days we might find ourselves at step seven. And some days we can't even make a step. But the process is ongoing, and just when you think you have got it, we have to turn once more and begin again. Now I promise, no one down in Jackson or up in New York City made me share this with you today. And certainly we have many disciplines at our disposal and rules of life we can follow that help us grow closer to God and help us love our neighbor as ourself. And that's hard enough just as it is. But as we gather this day to contemplate the cross once again, as we seek to serve the world as the chapel of the cross, we would be well served to center our lives in the love of Jesus, a love demonstrated so powerfully on that terrible cross. If we can try a way of love, if we can follow a way of love, if we can be transformed by the way of love, then perhaps the world too can turn and choose love. And if we choose love, then the cross won't be for nothing. Amen.